Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Whose fault is it that the world has become so full of distractions, especially the distractions that we carry in our pockets or our palms? Author Johan Hari says it's not all ours, that the makers of these phones and the apps that run on them bear eminent responsibility for these devices' ability to make us lose focus. He'll join today to talk about his new book, Stolen Focus, Why We Can't Pay Attention and How to Think More Deeply Again. It's next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Detroit Today is supported by Michigan School of Psychology in Farmington Hills, educating psychologists today who will transform our world tomorrow. Learn more at msp.edu. Good day, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We value lots of things in our lives, the people in them, the things we own, the experiences we have. But time is what wraps around all those other things, our time how we choose to spend our time, what we focus on. That's really the totality of our lives. I start here because if you're like me, you probably aren't focusing on the things you care about in the particular way you want to be caring about them, at least not most of the time. Most of the time, in fact, you may be distracted from the things that actually matter most to you. That essay you keep sitting down to write, but keeps getting derailed by your Twitter habit. That hard conversation you want to have with your friend that keeps getting overruled by the allure of your email inbox. That sunset you might be sitting there watching, but are actually missing because your Instagram feed is just too enticing. These devices that we have, we call them phones, but really they are portals to an incredible array of information and interaction. They rule our time in so many ways. And one question is, Whose fault is that? Is it your fault that you spend too much time on your phone? We know one thing is true. We live in a world with more artificial distractions than has ever been true. Corporations, often the ones that we love, are incentivized by our clicks, by our attention. That's how they make money. And they are manipulating us to scroll and to keep our eyes, to keep our focus on their products. So whose fault is it? Is it our fault for indulging the ability 
to stay on the phone most of the day? Or do they bear some responsibility for this? New research does suggest that this isn't all our fault, that a variety of big tech companies are profiting in a way that deeply manipulates our everyday psychology and behavior. This research says we are in an attentional crisis. And so many of us are right in the middle of it or live with people who are. Journalist and writer Johan Hari makes this point really elegantly in his new book, which is called Stolen Focused, Why You Can't Pay Attention and How to Think More Deeply Again. He's here with us now to talk about our manifest distractions. Johan Hari, welcome to Detroit Today. Oh, hey, Stephen. What a great introduction. And uh, I love Detroit, <laughs> so I'm so happy to be talking to you. Great. Oh, Cheers. that's great. That's wonderful. <laughs> so I, I want to start with a kind of basic question. What does it mean to be focused? And what is attention? What does that mean to actually pay attention to something we're doing? Yeah, you know, this is exactly what I wanted to investigate because I noticed, just like you're saying, with each year that passed, things that require deep focus, like reading a book, having proper conversations, we're getting more and more like running up a down escalator. You know what I mean? I could still do them, but they were getting harder and harder. And I could see them happening to everyone around me, particularly the young people that I loved. And I wanted to figure out, well, what happened to us? So I went on this big journey all over the world from Miami to Moscow to Melbourne, not just the cities that begin with the letter M. And I interviewed over 200 of the leading experts on attention and focus and did a really deep dive into their work. And what I learned from them is there's scientific evidence for 12 factors that can make your attention better or can make it worse. And loads of the factors that can make it worse have been hugely increasing in recent years. So it's not you. You're not imagining it. It's not on you. Actually, this is being done to us by these big, these 12 big forces, which include our tech, but actually include things that go way beyond it, from the food we eat to the sleep we don't get to the way we're working right now. Um, but once you understand these 12 factors, we can begin together to get our focus back. And this is so important because I would say to anyone listening, just think about anything you've ever achieved in your life that you're proud of, whether it's starting a business, being a good parent, learning to, learning to play the guitar, whatever that thing that you're proud of is, it required a huge amount of focus and attention. And when focus and attention break down, as they clearly are now, the average American office worker now focuses on only one task for only three minutes. When they break down, your ability to achieve your goals starts to break down. Your ability to solve your problems starts to break down and you become less competent. And then obviously you feel worse about yourself. We don't have to tolerate this. We know why this is happening. The scientists have discovered it, and we can start to put it right. Hmm. So 12 factors, uh, that's, that's a lot. And, and we probably can't <laughs> uh, interrogate all 12 of them in, in the time that we have. But, sure. but I want to have you talk just about uh, what, what, what some of them are and, and what we should be kind of aware of. And I think as much as... Uh, this is about quantity. It is about the quality of of these factors that uh, that give them the power that they have over us. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. I'll give you an example of one that I think will be playing out for almost everyone listening today. 
I went to MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, to interview a man named Professor Earl Miller, who's one of the leading neuroscientists in the world. And he said to me, look, you've got to understand one thing about the human brain more than anything else. You can only consciously think about one or two things at a time. That's it. This is a fundamental limitation of the human brain. The human brain has not significantly changed in 40,000 years. It, it ain't going to change on any time scale we're going to see. You can only think about one or two things at a time. But what's happened is we've fallen for a massive delusion. The average American teenager now believes they can follow six or seven forms of media at the same time. So what happens is scientists get people into labs, not just teenagers, older people too, and they get them to think they're doing more than one thing at a time. And they always discover the same thing. You can't do more than one thing at a time. What you do is you juggle very quickly between tasks. You're like, wait, what did Steve just ask me? What, what's that message on Facebook? What does it say on the TV about Ukraine? What's this WhatsApp message? What did Steve just ask me again? So we're juggling. And it turns out that comes with a really big cost. The kind of fancy name for it is the switch cost effect. When you try and do more than one thing at a time, you will do all the things you're trying to do much less competently. You'll make more mistakes. You'll remember less of what you do. You'll be much less creative. And that sounds like, a, I think a lot of people hearing will go, I get it. But A, I'm probably the exception. I'm good at it. And B, yeah, it must be a small effect. Actually, the research on this is pretty shocking. I'll give you an example of a very small study backed by a wider body of evidence. Hewlett-Packard, the printer company, mm -hmm. got a scientist in to study their workers. And he split them into two groups. And to the first group, he said, just get on with whatever you're meant to be doing today. And you're not going to have to answer any phone calls or emails. You're not going to be interrupted. And the second group was told, get on with whatever your task is, but you're going to have to answer a heavy load of email and phone calls. So pretty much how most of us live. <laughs> and at the end of it, he tested the IQ of all of them. The group that had not been interrupted scored 10 IQ points higher. To give you a sense of how big that is, if you and me sat down together, Stephen, right now, and we smoked a fat spliff and we got stoned, our <laughs> IQs would go down in the short term by five points. So in the short term, being chronically interrupted is twice as bad for your intelligence as, as getting stoned. You'd be better off sitting at your desk, getting stoned and doing one thing at a time than what most of us are doing, which is sitting at our desk, not getting stoned and being constantly interrupted. Now, clearly, it's better to neither get stoned nor be interrupted. But this is why Professor Miller said to me, we are living in a perfect storm of cognitive degradation as a result of being constantly interrupted. If you're interrupted, even by something as small as a text message, it takes you on average 23 minutes to get back to the level of focus wow. you had before you were interrupted. But most of us are never getting 23 minutes spare. So we're constantly operating at the moment at this diminished level. Hmm. So, so of course, we can't have this conversation without talking about social media. Mm. And, I, and you're not talking exclusively about social media. I should make sure. that point. But, but this is such a powerful part of what you are talking about. And it's, of course, a really powerful part of our lives. And I, I, I go back and forth about the value of social media. I mean, for, for starters... Um, you know, I, I'm giving it a lot of breaks still because I feel like, like many other communicative technologies, you know, it's it's in its infancy now. And if you go back to the beginning of other kinds of communicative technologies in their infancies, they were kind of obnoxious too, uh, and and couldn't quite find the right space in our lives. So I I, I cut it a little slack, but I also acknowledge just all of the really awful habits that, that it's encouraging. And, and to your point, 
the fact that it is really degrading the way that um, that we that we communicate with each other as much as it is enhancing it. So so let's talk about why mm-hmm. it's social media that 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 has this kind of pull to our attention and which companies you are specifically referring referring to when you talk about them as a problem. So there's for all of the 12 factors that are harming our attention that I write about in Stolen Focus and the way social media works at the moment is one of them. There are two levels at which we've got to tackle this. I think of them as defense and offense. There are dozens of things we can all do right now in our personal lives to defend ourselves and our kids against these factors invading our attention. And I talk about lots of them in the book. But I want to be really honest with people in a way that I don't think most books about attention are. That is really important. I'm passionately in favor of doing those things, but it will only get you so far because at the moment, it's like someone is pouring itching powder over us all day and then leaning forward and going, hey, buddy, you might want to learn how to meditate. Then you wouldn't scratch so much. And you want to go, well, screw you. I'll learn to meditate. That's really valuable, but we need to stop you pouring itching powder on me, right? So that's why we've got to have a level above just personal changes, which is going on offense and taking on these forces. And there's an example in the history of Detroit that I think can really help us to think about this. And for a minute, the listeners are going to think, "What the hell? why is he talking about this in relation to social media? But stick with me for a second and you'll, and you'll see. So it used to be, I think we're probably about the same age, Stephen. It used to be, we, were, we remember from when we were kids, the standard form of gasoline in the United States was leaded gasoline. It was. And, it was. and just before our time, um, the most a common way of painting your home was with leaded paint, right? This was particularly an issue in Detroit because leaded paint was cheaper and they used it in all the public housing. And it was discovered, they knew this even before they painted the public housing with it, the exposure to lead is really bad for your brain and in particular is really bad for children's brains, right? And particularly damages their ability to focus and pay attention. So this science was discovered. They continued, everyone was breathing in lead because of the... Um, because it was in the air, because it was in the gasoline and it was being pumped out in fumes. And they particularly carried on painting poor people and black people's homes with with leaded paint. And a group of ordinary moms in Detroit banded together and they said, why are we allowing this? Why are we allowing these for-profit companies to screw up our kids' brains? This is crazy. And it's really important to notice what they didn't say. They didn't say, we are now anti-gasoline and we are anti-paint and we want to ban gasoline and we want to ban paint, right? They didn't say that. That would have been foolish. They said, we've got to deal with the specific element in the gasoline and the paint that is harming our kids' brains. And they fought like hell and they succeeded, right? Will everyone listening will know there is no more leaded gasoline. There is no more leaded paint, although we still need, there's still lead pipes that people are exposed to, particularly in Michigan, which is outrageous. Um, And we could deal with that, but we're not, but we should. And that is harming everyone's attention. But for me, this is a really important model of that second layer of how we've got to do that, deal with this, about going on offense against the factors that are harming our attention. Um, we identify the specific element that's harming our attention. We band together, we get rid of it. And there's a really tight analogy, I think, with, with the way social media works. We don't want to get rid of social media any more than we wanted to get rid of gasoline or paint. We do want to get rid of the specific components in social media that are designed to harm our attention. I spent a lot of time in Silicon Valley interviewing people who designed the apps that your kids are using right now, that Mm -hmm. that we are using all the time. And what was fascinating was to discover there's a specific reason why these apps were designed and are still designed to hack and invade our attention. So Sean Parker, one of the biggest initial investors in Facebook, said publicly, we designed Facebook to maximally invade your attention. 
We knew what we were doing and we did it anyway. God only knows what it's doing to our children's brains. That's what he said, right? It's not my words. And it's really important to understand why. It's not because they're like James Bond villains. They're not evil people. It's for a very simple reason that we can put right. So anyone listening, don't do it right now. But if you open Facebook or Twitter or TikTok right now and start scrolling, those companies start to make money in two ways. First way is really obvious. You see ads. Okay, everyone listening knows how that works. The second way is much more important. Everything you do on those apps is scanned and sorted by their artificial intelligence algorithms to figure out who you are and to figure out the weaknesses in your attention. So let's say that you um, mention on social media that you like, I don't know, Bette Midler, Donald Trump, and you tell your mom you just bought some diapers. Okay, it's going to figure out if this is a man who likes Bette Midler, he's probably gay. No disrespect to any straight people who like Bette Midler. Uh, if, if this is if the person likes Donald Trump, they're clearly conservative. And if they, they're buying nappies, they've probably got a baby. They are building up a really complex profile of you. They've got tens of thousands of pieces of information about you. Now, that's partly because you are not the customer of these apps. You are the product they sell to advertisers. And advertisers want to target you. They want to know who you are so they can target you. But it's also so they can figure out the weaknesses in your attention so they can keep you scrolling. Because every extra moment you scroll, they make more money because you see more ads and they learn more about you. And every moment you put your phone down, that revenue stream disappears. So all of this genius in Silicon Valley, all of these engineers, all of these algorithms, they're built towards one thing, figuring out how do we keep Stephen scrolling as long as possible and how do we get him to pick up his phone as often as possible. But the key thing to understand is just like we can have paint without lead in it, and we in fact do have that now, and gasoline without lead in it, social media doesn't have to work that way, right? Um, so I interviewed lots of the people who had designed key aspects of how the internet works. And I'll give you an example. A guy called Aza Raskin, whose dad, Jeff, invented the Apple Macintosh for Steve Jobs. And Aza went on to design a key part of how most websites work. And he said to me, look, the solution for this one of the 12 causes that are invading our attention is really simple. You, just like we banned lead, you've got to ban the current business model. You've got mm. to say that a, a, a model based on tracking us secretly in order to figure out the weaknesses in our attention in order to sell us to advertisers, that's just unethical. Ban it. Don't allow it. And it took me a long time and for many people in Silicon Valley to say this to me before I really understood what they were, they were saying. Because I said to, to Aza one day, okay, let's imagine we do that. And the next day I open Facebook. Would it just say, sorry, guys, we've gone fishing? He said, of course not. <laughs> what would happen is they would have to move to a different business model. And everyone listening has an experience, almost everyone listening will have an experience of the two different business models that they could move to. One is subscription. Okay, we all know how Netflix and HBO work. You pay a small amount, you get access. Or think about the sewers. Before we had sewers, we had feces in the street. We got cholera. So we all pay to build and maintain the sewers together. And we all own the sewers together. You own the sewers in Detroit. I own the cities in, I own the sewers in London. Now, it may be that like we want to own the sewage pipes together, we want to own the information pipes together because we're getting the equivalent of cholera for our attention and our kids' attention. And obviously a lot of the book is about our kids' attention. But whatever alternative model we choose, the key thing to understand is the incentives all change if there's a different business model. At the moment, all the incentive is how do they figure out how to hack your attention and take as much of it as possible. But when in these different business models, suddenly you become the customer, suddenly they have to ask, 
oh, what does Stephen want? It turns out Stephen wants to be able to pay attention. Let's design our app not to hack his attention, but to heal his attention. Oh, it turns out Stephen wants to meet up with his friends offline because people feel better when they look into each other's eyes, not (laughs) staring at screens as we all learned in the last two years when we were deprived of it. Okay, let's design our app not to undermine people meeting up, but to facilitate people meeting up. The technology for that is incredibly easy, right? It could be designed tomorrow. Um, The key thing is we have to get the incentives right. And just like the lead industry was never going to go you know what, guys, I think we've just made enough money. Let's stop poisoning kids' brains, right? That's that's not how it works. They had to be made to do it by that heroic movement of moms. In the same way, we have to make these companies do it. And we can absolutely do that. You know, just to say one last thing about this, Dr. James Williams, who'd been at the heart of Google for many years, was horrified by what they were doing to our attention and left, said to me, the axe existed for 1.3 million years before anyone thought to put a handle on it. The entire internet has existed for less than 10,000 days. We can get this right if we want to. Wow, wow. Okay, when we come back, we are going to continue this conversation with Johan Hari about our attention, our stolen focus, and how we get it back. Uh, We want to hear from you as well during this conversation. Uh, Do you feel like you have a hard time concentrating on the things that you should be concentrating on. You have a hard time focusing on work or your kids or relationships or even appreciating something like a beautiful sunset. It's hard for you to go somewhere without your phone. What do you think is the cause of this problem? Who do you think is responsible for it? Is it you or are we being manipulated by the industry that makes these products and the apps that are on them? As always, we want to hear from you on the phones, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to social media, Facebook or Twitter, put comments there, and uh, we'll include you in the conversation that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Our guest today is Johan Hari, an author of a new book called Stolen Focus, Why You Can't Pay Attention and How to Think More Deeply Again. Uh, he is the author of three New York Times bestselling books, including Chasing the Scream and Lost Connections. Today, we're talking about the fact that so many of us are so distracted uh, by our phones and by the apps that run on them. Uh, Johan Hari suggests that we can do something about that, that uh, it is not just our fault that we are um, that we are so captivated by these devices and the things on them that there is an industry design driving that that social media companies in particular are really adept at figuring out how to keep us looking how to keep us scrolling and that that's how they make money he says if we change that force them to make money in other ways uh, we could maybe recapture 
some of our own attention. We want to hear from you during the conversation as well. Again, why? Uh, what does this look like in your life? Uh, how distracted are you by the phone, uh, by Facebook, by Twitter, by Google? Uh, do you find yourself not spending time on the things that you really feel like you should, your work, your kids, your relationships, uh, instead distracted by by these phones? As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Uh, you can also go to social media, Facebook or Twitter, and put comments there. Uh, Johan, before we get to uh, callers, and of course, we've got a oh. lot of people who want to talk about this, um, I, I do <laughs> want to give you a chance to talk about if we did what you were just suggesting, which is to say, all right, you can't make money this way. You can't uh, manipulate people um, to make money and, and use us as the product. What would these tech companies do? How would they make money? Or would they have to be content with less than what they have? I mean, these are companies that have uh, made more money in a shorter period of time, I think, than, than any sort of um, uh, kind of company that, that ever came about before. Uh, uh, the, 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 the piles of money they have been able to accumulate are part of the phenomenon. So if if they changed their model, would they still be able to do that? Or would they have to, to settle for less? You don't have to worry about Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> it's going to be okay. He's got he's enough. Be fine, right? <laughs> Whatever happens, he's going to be richer than the richest Pharaoh ever was, right? <laughs> so we don't need to worry about his health, but I think we need to worry about ours. And it's interesting because if you think about this, one level at which we can think about it is, you know, so this tech, this component of the tech that we're talking about is only one of the 12 factors that I write about in Stolen Focus that are harming our attention, but it interacts with the others. So think about, the way I think about it is, if you think about this tech as like a virus, right? This, anytime this design of the tech came along, it would have harmed our attention and focus. But it came along at a moment when it's like our collective immune system was already down because we were, had already made lots of changes that were profoundly harming our focus and attention. So I'll give you an example of one of the 12 that really surprised me and one that, to be honest, I really struggle with deeply, which is food. Um, the way we eat is profoundly harming our ability to focus and pay attention. I interviewed hmm. loads of experts about this, and there's three ways in which it's harming our attention. So one is, Imagine you have, this is pretty early in the morning for you guys, imagine you ha you're having now your breakfast. And let's say you're having the standard American breakfast, the kind of thing I grew up eating as well. Let's say sugary cereal or toasted white bread with butter. What that does is it releases a huge amount of energy really quickly into your brain, which feels great. It's like the day has begun, right? But that releases so much energy so fast that you'll get to your desk or your kid will get to their school desk a few hours later and your energy will crash and you'll experience what's called brain fog, where you just can't really pay attention until you have another sugary carby treat. The way we eat at the moment puts us on a roller coaster of energy spikes and energy crashes throughout the day that gives you um, gives you patches of brain fog that you don't get if, say, you know, you eat, I don't know, oatmeal for breakfast, which releases energy more steadily. The way one of the leading nutritionists in Britain put it to me, Dale Pinnock, is it's like we're putting rocket fuel into a mini, you know, those little British cars. They'll go really, it'll go really fast and then it'll just stop. The second way is for your brain to function optimally, you need to have certain nutrients like omega-3s, which are found in, in fish 
and uh, sardines. And our diets are really lacking in them. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. supplements just don't make up the difference. Your body doesn't absorb nutrients from supplements in the same way. And the third way is to me, actually in a way the freakiest, it's not just that our diets are lacking things we need, they contain things that act on us like drugs. There was a study in Britain in the city, a city called Southampton in 2007, where they got 297 kids and they split them into two groups. And the first group was just given water. And the second group was given water laced with synthetic dyes that are found in the food we eat all the time. Stuff you get in the supermarket, popular candies. And then the kids were monitored. The kids that were given the synthetic dyes were significantly more likely to become manic, to become hyperactive. This is one reason out of many that I talk about why so many of our kids are exhibiting ADHD symptoms. So it's interesting, if you think about that, that's one example, food. We sleep 20% less than we did a century ago. We all know a day when you haven't slept well is much more likely, if you haven't slept well the night before, that's going to be a day when you're much more likely to mindlessly scroll through Twitter and Facebook <laughs> than a day when you've slept well, right? So there's a lot of ways in which these factors are all interacting. But once you understand these 12 factors, you can begin to take them on at a personal level for yourself and your kids. And collectively, we can begin to take them on together in all sorts of ways that I saw happening all over the world and report on in the book. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. 313-577-1019. Uh, I want to read a couple of social media comments before we get to the <laughs> The irony. Well, of course. <laughs> Very meta. Uh, Jeff on Twitter writes, nodding in sheepish agreement. And I keep turning back to Twitter instead of focusing on my work. Uh, I think there's probably a lot of that going You're not alone, on here. Jeff. Right, right. Ed on Twitter writes, this sounds like a core element of mindfulness and the irony that I'm at my desk at work tuned into WDET <laughs> and tweeting has not slipped uh, past me. We won't uh, tell your boss. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Right. You're safe. Uh, Big Neo says one way to control your focus is to turn off the notifications on your phone. Mm. There may be a fear of missing out. But that's one way to help stay focused. The only notification I have on my phones is when uh, SH Detroit, which is my Twitter handle, tweets about Detroit today. Oh, that's very sweet. Uh, oh. um, <laughs> so, but before we get to more of uh, the listeners' feedback, I, I do want to drill down on this one question, mm. which is so part of the problem here is that we do like this so much and we do find it so appealing. Um, and so I guess one question is, what would motivate us to insist that it be done differently? In other words, do we even know that we are part of the problem, I guess, but but also captives of the, pro of the problem? Do we have a kind of Stockholm syndrome uh, when it comes to, to social media and tech? This is a really important question. And I think we all enjoy moments of speed and acceleration and being flooded with information, right? Almost all of us. And that's good. I don't want to take that away. But I think almost everyone thinks we've gone way too far in the direction of that dominating our lives and never or almost never having moments of rest, deep thought, recuperation. You know, this is the first time in the history of the American Republic that in any given year, a majority, a majority of Americans don't read a single book, for example, mm -hmm. and that includes the Bible. Um, so the... So I think there are some elements we like and there are some elements that are being forced on us. I'll give you an example of a problem that's being forced on us and a solution to it that's very practical. 
So in 2018 in France, they were having a big crisis of what they called le burnout, which I don't think I need to translate. And the French government, under pressure from labor unions, and they would never have done it if they weren't pressured, uh, set up an inquiry to figure out, well, what's going on? Why are our workers so burned out? And they discovered one of the key factors is that 35% of French workers felt they could never stop checking their phone and email because their boss could message them at any time of the day or night and they didn't answer, they'd be in trouble. And I remember when, 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 when we were kids, Stephen, the only people who were on call were the president and doctors. And doctors <laughs> weren't on call all the time, right? right? So we've gone from it being almost no one to, you know, half the economy almost. Um, and this was just burning people out. So the French government came up with a solution, again, because they were pressured. Um, they introduced something very simple. It's called the right to disconnect. Every French worker has two rights. Firstly, your work hours have to be laid down clearly in writing in your contract. And secondly, when your work hours are over, unless they're paying you overtime, you don't have to check your phone or look at your email. When I was in France to investigate this, just before um, Rent-A-Kill, the pest control company, were fined 70,000 euros because they told off one of their workers for not answering his email an hour after huh. his work hours ended. So you can see how that's a, that's a collective change that we'll only get if we fight for together, but it frees people up to make these individual changes, which is why in Stolen Focus, I go through so many individual changes we can make, but I'm conscious at the moment a lot of people can't do them, right? If you've got to be answering your phone all the time for work. So I'll give you an example of an individual change that I've made. Uh, stupidly, I'm pointing at it, but you can't see. This is the radio. Um, so in, in the corner of my room, I have a, something called a K-safe, right? It's a plastic safe. I feel like a QVC person when I talk about this, but it's a plastic safe. You take off the lid, you put in your phone, you put on the lid, you turn the dial, and it locks away your phone for anything between five minutes oh, and a whole man. day. I could not have written my book if, if I had not done that. I will not sit down and watch a movie with my partner unless we both imprison our phones. When my friends come around for dinner, we've all got to put our phones in the phone jail. And, you know, it's difficult at first. People find it really, really hard. I would say to them, you know, you're not the president of the United States. You don't have to give orders for what happens in Ukraine. Like, you can take an hour and a half away from your phone. But at first, it's really difficult. But then people start to get back the pleasure of focus. And the pleasure of focus is so much greater than the crappy notification that you're going to miss. The pleasure of being able to think deeply. When you can think deeply, when you get your attention back, and I give lots of ways we can do this in style and focus, you become competent again. Hmm. You can think clearly again. You begin to Think about your past, about your future, begin to formulate who you want to be much more clearly. At the moment, a lot of the time, it's like we're kind of lost in our own lives. We feel like if your attention fractures and it's just controlled by these outside forces, it's almost like how it felt for me anyway, is it's like you're a pinball being whacked around the pinball table instead of the person controlling the little, what are they called, the paddles on the pinball machine. And when you get your attention back, you think, oh, right, I'm in control of this machine now, right? Um, so the, 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 the pleasures of focus are so great. They are worth making sacrifices for. The pleasures of depth are so great. And you, you do have to sacrifice something. You won't know what immediately happened five minutes ago, but that's okay. You don't need to know that, right? Even Joe Biden yeah. doesn't need to know that, right? It'll be okay. <laughs> and, and this device that you're talking about, it has a, it has a timer on it so that you can't get yeah. your phone out until a certain a certain once time has passed. Once you've done it, you, I mean, you could you could smash it. You could throw it on the right. floor and smash it if there was like a fire or something. You could get it, but then you'd have to buy another one. I also have on my laptop an app called Freedom that cuts you off from the entire internet for however long you tell it to. But the reason I think this is so important 
is at the moment we're in a race. So you've got these 12 factors that are undermining our attention and focus, and many of them are poised on the current trajectory to become much more powerful. Mm -hmm. um, uh, One of the major investors in Silicon Valley, Paul Graham, said the world will be more addictive in the next 40 years than it was in the in the last 40. Think about how much more addictive TikTok is to your child than Facebook. Okay, now imagine the next crack-like iteration of TikTok in the metaverse, mm. right? So that's one side of the race. These factors will become more powerful if we let them. On the other side of the race, there's got to be a movement of all of us saying, hell no, you don't get to do this to us. You don't get to do this to our children. This is not what we want. This is not a good life. We choose depth. We choose focus. We want to be able to read. We want our children to be able to play outside without constantly picking up a screen. We want a life of focus. And if we have a movement to do that, there's all sorts of practical things we can do as individuals and can fight for together that I've seen in practice from New Zealand to Paris. But if we don't fight, they're going to just pillage our attention more and more. And we'll look back nostalgically on the day when the average office worker was able to focus for a whole three minutes on one thing, right? The key thing people need to understand is we don't have to tolerate this. This is not an act of God. This is not like the weather. This is is the result of relatively recent changes. I mean, we can remember a time before it, right? That wasn't perfect in the past. There were lots of problems. But we can remember a time when attention was not as fragmented, anything like as fragmented as it is now. And we're not so old. We, we can deal with these problems. We can put this right. This has been done to us by humans. We are also humans. We can put it right. But we ha- we're going to have to fight for it. If we don't fight for it, and of course, I mean peacefully fight for it. If we don't fight for it, this is going to get worse. Hmm. Coming up next, uh, we are going to get to your phone calls about distraction and attention. Uh, you can uh, call and uh, talk with Johan Hari, author of Stolen Focus. Uh, Give us a call and let us know how you are fighting against the temptations on our phones and whether you think we need to be more aggressive pushing back at the companies that create those distractions. 313-577-1019 is the number. Bernadette in Old Redford, Jerry in Detroit, Layla at Wayne State University, Cindy in Ferndale. You will be up first. You can also go to social media and put comments there and we'll work into the conversation that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Our guest is author Johan Hari, whose new book takes a look at the distractions that we have uh, in our lives. It's called Stolen Focus, Why You Can't Pay Attention and How to Think More Deeply Again. Uh, We want to hear from you about uh, your stolen focus, the things that uh, are taking time away from the more valuable things in your life uh, and how you how you fight back against it. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter and put comments there. Let's start with Layla at uh, Wayne State University. Layla, what's on your mind? Hi. Um, thank you so much for taking my call. And I just want to say I plug your show at every opportunity, Stephen. Um, oh, I you. really love it. And right. this is one of the reasons why this show right now um, one thing that your guest said really struck a chord with me because I, I am a philosophy professor. And when you said that this is unethical, 
what these companies are mm-hmm. doing, it got me to thinking, well, it's true, but I hadn't thought about it in those terms before. And then w- that we're products, I thought, oh, darn, like, why didn't I think about this? Of course, we're being used as means to an end. And that is one degree, I think, or maybe several degrees more nefarious even than, you know, the lead in our paint and the lead in our gas. And because in those instances, we're not really directly being used as a means to an end, right? But in mm-hmm. this case, we are. And I'm, I was like, I should be furious. And now I am, but I wasn't before. And, and so I just, I wanted to add that to the conversation, if that's mm. okay. Yeah, you know, Leila, no, that's, Leila. That, go ahead, that, go ahead, so, Jan. Thanks, Stephen. That, that, that's so fascinating, Leila, because there's a layer to this that's even more unethical, I think, and I think even more shocking, which is it's not just that our individual attention is being destroyed, our collective attention is being destroyed. And it's for a very specific reason that Facebook knows about and they know what they're doing, which I think adds a layer of unethical um, horror to this, which is, so we've got this business model where the longer you scroll, the more money they make. So the algorithms are constantly figuring out what keeps people scrolling. And unfortunately, that bumped into an unfortunate human truth that's been known about by psychologists for a long time. It's called negativity bias. Um, Basically, human beings will stare at something that makes them angry and upset longer than they will stare at something that makes them... I think we have lost Johan Hari's connection, or at least broken it uh, here, um, while we try to get him back. Uh, let's go back to the phones uh, and and continue the conversation here. Uh, let's go next to Jerry in Detroit. Jerry, what's on your mind? Um, good morning, Stephen and Johan, if you're still listening. Yeah, we're trying to get his, uh, he was on a Zoom connection and uh, there's some interruption. So we're, we're working on getting him back here. Okay, that's But good. go ahead, Jerry. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in some ways, I think um, that smartphones might be, um, and for some people, some smartphones might be, um, might, be a, might be a hindrance for some people and a distraction and perhaps even a, a curse for some people. Um, but at the same time, for folks like me, I think they offer a wealth of information. I mean, you have have the, all sorts of these um, apps that have all sorts of information. I shop I shop for groceries on Instacart on them, and plus <laughs> I listen to podcasts such as this one because I also have both um, the NPR and um, and the WDET apps on my phone. So they offer a wealth of information, and plus I'm a I'm a huge um, YouTube app. Addict. So I pretty much watch videos on YouTube, also on my phone as well. So, so Jerry, let me ask you: uh, Those are all great things to be doing, and they are things that it sounds very much like you get real fulfillment from. But I think the question always is: If you weren't doing those things, would you be doing other things that would be more fulfilling? Would you be interacting? more with other people would you be spending time on uh work or 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 things that that um that 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 require a longer uh focus time um if you weren't doing that on on the phone i I think it's it's an either or question right go ahead jerry um and even and if i didn't have any if i to be to answer your question if i didn't have any of those things i mean i'd still be interacting with you know, with my family, because, you know, because besides the phone, I also do also read and I listen to music and um, 
you know, I engage in conversations with my family and all sorts of things. Um, the, the phone is just offers that, 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 that little, that little extra. I mean, because, um, I've, I had gotten my very first, um, smartphone, um, back in around 2013, because I had had before that, if you recall the old flip, the old flip phones of the back in, back in the nineties and the early two thousands. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Cause we had those and, and those, and those, believe it or not, are starting to, those old flip phones are starting to make a comeback now. They're coming back. No, you're not, you're not wrong, Jerry. You're not wrong. Jerry, I'm, I really I'm, appreciate. Yeah, go ahead. Um, um, I'm hoping, um, Johan is listening to this as well. Uh, he he actually had him yeah. back. Ironically, <laughs> my uh, internet crashed while we were talking. <laughs> right, <laughs> all right. Of but the, uh, you know, Jerry, you're so right about those flip phones. So one of the things I did for the book is I, um, you know, I, I had been so horrified by what was happening to my attention that I decided to take three months completely off the internet. I was really lucky because one of my previous books got made into a movie, so I had some money. So I went to this place called Provincetown in Cape Cod. And I went with no laptop that could get online. And I bought exactly the kind of phone you're describing. It's called the Jitterbug. It's got these huge fat buttons. It's designed for really old people. There's, um, <laughs> there's an, a special button on it that you can push if you fall over and it'll call the nearest hospital. And, um, and I had three months completely offline. And one of the things that amazed me is I was nearly 40 at that point. And mm -hmm. I thought, you know, maybe my attention's getting worse because I'm getting older my attention went back to being as good as it had been when I was 17. I could sit and read books for like 10 hours a day. I was stunned by how, by how much it improved. I later realized actually loads of things changed in my life in Provincetown that affect attention. I was much less stressed. There's loads of evidence that stress damages attention, which is why in the book I talk about lots of things we can do about that. Uh, I was sleeping much better. I was eating differently because there's no junk food in Provincetown, which initially enraged me, but did make my attention better. Um, but, you know, I remember my last day in Provincetown thinking, God, why would I ever go back? Why would I ever go back to the way I lived before? This is amazing. And I got my phone back the next day, my laptop, <laughs> and within a month, I was about 80% back as bad as I've been before. <laughs> I never went quite, and I'm better now because I integrated a lot of what I learned from the scientists I interviewed. But I kind of only really understood it when I went to Moscow and interviewed this guy, Dr. James Williams, who used to be at the heart of Google. He lives in Moscow because his wife works for mm -hmm. the World Health Organization. And... And he said to me, look, the mistake you've made, Johan, is it's like thinking the solution to air pollution is for you personally to wear a gas mask, right? Now, I'm not against gas masks. If I lived in Beijing, I'd wear a gas mask. Mm -hmm. But it's not a solution to air pollution. The solution to air pollution is to deal with the source of the problem. And that's why, although I'm passionately in favor of these individual changes, and I still have that flip phone and I still use it, um, <laughs> the... It's not enough, right? It's important. It's hugely valuable. It will help you. But we've also got to deal with the things that are actually doing this to us at the kind of macro level as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, Jerry, really appreciate the, the call and your comments. Let's go to Bernadette in Old Redford. Bernadette, welcome to the show. Thank you. What I'm thinking is that it's no longer possible to say no. Um, you visit these websites and you get a banner that says you agree to have cookies that can follow you everywhere. Mm -hmm. And if you don't agree, you can't get the information. If you work in a call center, you can never stop and answer one call fully. You have so many things mm -hmm. that are pulling your attention and you just can't say no. Hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, Bernadette, uh, you are speaking, uh, you are preaching to the choir here. It's hard to say no. Uh, and, and anyone who uh, is, is part of my life will attest uh, to, to the annoyance that I foist upon them all the time. Not saying no to, uh, to social media. Johan, what's your reaction to what Bernadette's saying? You're totally right, Bernadette. And I think what we've got to do is deal with these deep, the deep level of this. So think about how this is affecting our kids, which is obviously what a lot of my book is about. Um, there's a change that I think... Well, so there's been an enormous explosion in children's attention problems. For every one child who was identified with serious attention problems when I was seven, there's now 100 kids who've been identified with that problem. Mm. And there's many reasons why, but one of them is a transformation in childhood that it sounds like you're either my age or a bit older, Bernadette. You will have seen in your life, I saw in my life, anyone, I'm, I'm in my early 40s, anyone my age will have seen. So when I was a kid, and certainly for my parents and grandparents and everyone before them, Kids used to play freely. They used to walk to school on their own. They used to leave school, play with the kids in the neighborhood, and come home when they were hungry. That has ended. It ended even before COVID. By 2003, only 10% of American kids ever played outside without an adult. And it turns out that childhood we've lost contained loads of things that were really important for children to learn focus and attention. One of the really obvious ones is exercise, right? scientific evidence is overwhelming kids who get to run around can pay attention much better one of the best things you can do for kids who can't focus is let them run around and then come back but there's an even bigger thing it turns out when kids play freely they learn how to use their attention they learn what they find interesting they learn how to persuade other kids to find stuff pay attention to the things they find interesting they learn how to take turns they learn how to take risks which is so important for anxiety we took all that away, and one of the heroes of my book is a woman called Lenore Skenazi, who runs a program called Let Grow. And, and what they do is they go to whole schools and whole neighborhoods, and they persuade everyone to give their kids increasing levels of independence that build up to letting them play outside again, to restoring this childhood that is so important for attention. And of all the conversations I had to stolen focus, I think the most moving was with a 14-year-old boy in a Let Grow program in Long Island, who until this program, he's a big, strong 14-year-old boy, right? Mm. And until this program had begun nine months before, he had never been allowed to play outside his, ha- his home on his own. They wouldn't, his parents wouldn't even let him go for a run around the block. Wow. And then this Let Grow program began. It's letgrow.org, by the way. And he started to play outside with his friends. And I said to him, what did you do? And he said, oh, uh, well, first of all, we played ball games, but then we went into the woods and he said to me in a low voice, we didn't have any signal on our cell phones and we still went. And I said, oh, what did you do? And he said, we, we built a fort and now we go and we build other things. Mm. And Lenore, mm. who runs this program, she was with me that day. And when he left, she said to me, think about human history. For all of human history, young people had to go out and explore. They had to build. They had to, they had to map the territory. And we took all that away from them and it crushed their attention. It made their bodies sick. And that boy given a tiny little sliver of freedom, what did he do? He went into the woods. He ran he with it. built a fort, right? Yeah. And this is something I've all, I, I talk about lots of big changes we need to make in Stolen Focus to get our attention back. I would say the biggest is we need to restore childhood. We need to wow. get, we're not giving our children a childhood that our ancestors would even recognize as a human childhood. We can put that right. Everyone listening can go to letgrow.org, get it into your school. We can wow. fix this. It costs nothing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Johan Hari, this was such a delightful conversation about your book. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us. 
I'll thank you. I meant to say the book, mm-hmm. StolenFocusBook.com is the website. You can get the audio book and the e-book and everything. Thank you Absolutely. so much. Thanks so much. Yeah. Yes. Okay. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Come back Monday when we're talk about our new voting system and the needs for Michigan's new local clerks uh, before we vote in November. This is your connection to news, music, and conversation.